everyone. Welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Spratt, a writer for Football Outsiders, part of the Edge Sports family. It's the Tuesday before week five, which means it's the waiver wire episode. I'm going to run through all of last week's games to give you my observations on which players you want to pick up. And also check out my column on footballoutsiders.com if you want specifics on how much fab to spend or whether you should use the number one waiver priority if you might lose it. So to get things started, let's jump back to last Thursday night's game between the Eagles and Packers. Jordan Howard was the big fantasy breakout in this game. He had 15 carries for 87 yards and two touchdowns and another three catches for 28 yards and one touchdown. For the season, Howard's performed much better than than the rookie Miles Sanders. Howard has 25.7% rushing DVOA versus negative 29.5% for Sanders. And I was wondering whether the Eagles might do this at some point, but I thought they might give Sanders a bit more of a leash since he's a rookie. But as things stand now, Howard has five carries from inside five yards of the end zone versus two for Sanders. So the touchdown production seems like it might buoy them over a similar splint workload. And I could really see Howard getting more like 60% of the Eagles carries going forward. So I think he may be a usable flex for you for the time being. And he's available in quite a few shallow leagues, so grab him. Alshon Jeffrey returned for this game. I'm not sure if Deshaun Jackson's going to make it back for week five or not. But even Jeffrey coming back, I think, is going to eliminate J.J. Arcega-Whiteside's fantasy value in the short term and probably also Mac Hollins. So you can let those guys go. And then for the Packers, Aaron Rodgers finally had the good fantasy performance we were looking for. 34 of 53 passing for 422 yards and two touchdowns and one pick. He's got a 6.7% DVOA on the season, which I think is encouraging. I think his slow start of the season was really just about matchups. And the Eagles, in fact, were a good matchup because they increased passing attempts by 17%. Rodgers is going to be fine going forward, as will most of his weapons. Although he may have lost a couple of those weapons in this game. The big one I think you probably all noticed was Jamal Williams, who I think unquestionably suffered a concussion in this game. Not sure how long he's going to miss, but for when he's out, I think Aaron Jones kind of returns to being a solid RB2 kind of player. And then we'll see how quickly Williams can get back in the mix because he was kind of, he was eating into Jones um, time before. And I think he was, it was kind of moving toward a 50-50 split, which surprised me because I think that Jones is the better player, but Jones is going to be the guy for now. And then among receivers, Devontae Adams had the massive game with 10 catches and 180 yards, but left the game early with a toe injury. And it looks pretty clear that he's already going to miss this Sunday's game against the Cowboys. I've already kind of been insisting that Marcus Valdez-Scantling is the number two wide receiver for the team. And even though Geronimo Allison scored another touchdown in this game, Valdez-Scantling out-targeted Allison 7-4. Um, and he's got a 26.6% wide receiver tight end target share for this season compared to just 11% for Allison. But really, I think you want both of those players if Adams is going to miss any time. I think they're both going to play about every snap and see a lot of work without Adams in the mix. So grab both of those guys, but grab Valdez Scantling for the long term and spend a little bit more if you need to do so to secure him. Moving to Sunday, we have the Browns at Ravens, a bit of a surprise game. Baker Mayfield had the nice day with 342 passing yards and a touchdown, but just has negative 13.4% DVOA for the season. I think some of that is probably influenced by his constant pressure rate, but it doesn't really seem like that's going to be getting any, any better. So Mayfield may be in, in store for a disappointing fantasy season. Unlike Nick Chubb, who had an amazing performance, 165 rushing yards and three touchdowns, and he continues to get work as a receiver. Three catches for 18 yards on four targets. Very encouraging. It it remains to be seen how much or how heavy a workload he'll get when this team is fully healthy and Kareem Hunt returns from his suspension later in the season. But for now, Chubb is unquestionably a running back one. 
Meanwhile, Jarvis Landry, who was the player I was probably most concerned about on this team, had a very nice bounce-back performance with eight catches and 167 yards on 10 targets, compared to just two catches for 20 yards for Odell Beckham. And that shot Landry back up over 30% of the wide receiver and tight end target share for the Browns when he had been just badly lagging Beckham on the season. I think this may be kind of truer to what they're going to be doing for the rest of the season. And so as such, Landry probably returns to being a PPR flex option. But also note that Landry may have suffered a concussion in this game, and he's questionable for week five. So follow the news before you use him. Uh, That actually may turn Antonio Callaway into a surprising fantasy option next season or next week. He returns from his suspension this week. So keep an eye on the news, and you may want to grab Callaway in your deeper formats, especially if he's going to get a lot of work this week in particular. And then finally, I'll also note for the Browns that Ricky Seals-Jones, the tight end, had three catches for 82 yards and a touchdown, but it was just on three targets, and he played just 30% of the offensive snaps. I think Demetrius Harris is pretty clearly the the number one tight end for the Browns um, with David Njoku out. Harris played 67% of the offensive snaps, and he scored two weeks ago. So I don't think Seals-Jones has any value even in your deeper formats. And then finally, Miles Boykin. Uh, He had a touchdown, his second of the season for the rookie receiver for the Ravens, but there's still a really big gap there between Mark Andrews, Marquise Brown, and the rest of the receivers on the Ravens. Andrews had eight targets, and Brown had seven on Sunday, and no one else on the team had more than uh, five. Boykin had just three. I think it's pretty much a two-man show for the fantasy receiving options for the Ravens right now. For the Panthers at Texans, uh, Kyle Allen made his second start of the year, third of his career, and won another game. Not a great fantasy day, 24 of 34 for 232 and no touchdowns. Also had three turnovers on fumbles, uh, two of which were strip sacks. But for the season as a passer, has been pretty productive, 4.0% DVOA. Meanwhile, the Texans matchup were one that was probably going to force some extra fumbles. They increased fumbles by uh, 75% for passers. So that may have been a bit of a matchup thing, but I'll also mention that watching this game, Allen didn't have great recognition when there was pressure around him, which may be the weakness, but Allen still throws a great ball and looks very accurate, so I think that he can continue to buoy the Panthers receiving options in fantasy and may also be a fantasy option in your deeper formats in his best matchups. Christian McCaffrey, I mean, obviously he's one of the top couple of fantasy options in, in all of football, but just wanted to point out that 27 carries and 10 receptions in this game, he's now on pace for more than 2,500 yards from scrimmage. Hope that he can uh, withhand, withhold that, uh, withstand that kind of workload, but yeah, obviously he's a great fantasy option for you. And then while Curtis Samuel and DJ Moore, neither one had a great fantasy day with just 32 yards and 44 yards, they had seven and five targets respectively. They're pretty close to even split on the season now, and I think both of them are usable even in shallow formats in the right matchups. For Deshaun Watson, I thought this would be a better day for him, but the Panthers defense looks a little bit better than I expected, and the offensive line continues to be a problem for the Texans as Watson was sacked six times, and the Panthers also had eight tackles for losses. Watson still salvaged his fantasy day with a, a rushing touchdown, but just 21 of 33 in the air for 160 yards. And DeAndre Hopkins struggled again with five catches for 41 yards and no touchdown. But I'm not worried at all about Hopkins, who has 34% of the team's wide receiver and tight end target share, which is the seventh highest among all wide receivers across the league. Now, that wasn't really a lot of optimistic things to say about the Texans' passing game, but that said, I still think Will Fuller might be an option for you in shallow formats if Kenny Stills ends up missing time with his hamstring injury. Fuller had six targets on the day against the Panthers and has 21.7% of the wide receiver and tight end target share for the season. That's not enough to consistently make him a fantasy option, but without Stills, that eliminates his biggest threat for other deep targets on the team. 
And so he may be a DFS tournament play option for you this week without Stills, uh, if Stills does end up missing time. I think the uh, the Texans draw the Falcons this week, which is one of the better matchups you can get for passers and for receivers. Probably a good day for Deshaun Watson as well. Moving one of the Titans at those Falcons last week, um, as mentioned, the Falcons being a good matchup for, for quarterbacks. Mariota had a great day, 18 of 27, passing for 227 and three touchdowns. The, the Falcons actually increased passing touchdowns per attempt by 39%, which is the seventh most in football. And so I think that's really the bigger part of Mariota's good day here. For the season, Mariota, just negative 7.6% DVOA. I'm not really impressed by what I'm seeing from him. And averaging just 233 yards passing per game right now, I don't think he's a fantasy option for you, even in deeper formats. Rookie receiver A.J. Brown is kind of trending that way, though. He had 94 yards and two touchdowns against the Falcons, but that just came on three targets, and he's still playing just 44% of the offensive snaps. Corey Davis had six targets compared to three for Brown, so I think of the two, you're probably going to start Corey Davis, but Brown is the one that's probably available in more formats. He, he's getting 18.9% of the wide receiver and tight end target share for the Titans right now, which is just really isn't high enough uh, to buoy his fantasy value even in deeper formats, but... Again, he's a rookie that could trend up for him for the rest of the season, and he's been surprisingly explosive for a guy that I thought might spend a little bit more time in the slot in the pros. For the Falcons, Mohamed Sadu had a nice day, nine catches for 91 yards on 12 targets, which led the team. A lot of that was the Falcons trying to play catch up, and Matt Ryan threw a hefty total of 53 pass attempts. But also, Sanu has 22% of the team's wide receiver tight end target share, compared to just 16.3% for Calvin Ridley. So Sanu is remaining more involved in this offense than I expected in, in Ridley's second season. And so Sanu is probably a, a semi-consistent option for you in your deeper formats to use in fantasy. Next up, the Patriots at Bills. Um, the Patriots, I mean, I think at this point, you probably know what you, what you want to use for their offense. This wasn't a great matchup for Brady and the passing team, but most weeks they'll be fine. The one thing I'll mention here is that Sony Michelle, another bad, inefficient day as a runner, 17 carries for 63 yards, which is 3.7 yards per carry. He's got negative 66 rushing DYAR, which is the worst in football. I'm keeping my eye on that situation, and I may be rostering rookie Damian Harris in some deeper formats. Because, I mean, Bill Belichick seems like at any time he could make the switch if he feels like Harris gives the team a better chance to win. And it's probably a long shot, but if Harris did end up becoming the starting uh, early down back for the Patriots, the touchdown volume would mean that he's probably going to end up being a running back too a lot of weeks. So I, I'll, I'll grab him in my deeper formats. Uh, Edelman ended up playing this game and seeing seven targets, but I do think the chest injury probably limited his production, and that didn't really lead to extra opportunities for Jacoby Myers or anyone. But this week, it may lead to some opportunities for Ben Watson, who returns from his four-game PED suspension this week, and I think steps right in as the team's number one pass-catching tight end. He probably peaks as a, as a number two tight end, and even in your shallower fantasy leagues, um, he just he's probably not going to get much more workload than that as a 38 year old. But he'll probably get upwards of three to four targets per game on average. So I think he may be usable in your deeper formats. Unfortunately, Josh Allen suffered a concussion on a helmet to helmet hit in this game and ended up being replaced by Matt Barkley. Um, I'm not sure if Allen's going to miss another week or not. Um, but with Barkley in there, that could lead to some changes for the for the passing offense. I think Cole Beasley is, is likely the safer choice for next week if Barkley's under center than John Brown. Beasley led the team with 13 targets this week, had seven catches for 75 yards. Um, and it's it's really he and John Brown are clearly the guys with a distant third for Zay Jones. Um, but as more of a downfield threat, Brown may be a harder player for Barkley to sustain in fantasy. And then also for the Bills, Devin Singletary missed his second uh, week 
in this game. And Frank Gore did well again. Um, he's averaging 17 touches and 99 yards per game in the two games Singletary has missed. And has a 9.5% rushing DVOA on the season, which is very solid. I mean, Frank Gore continues to defy his age and defy t- uh, father time. I still do think that Singletary is going to be a, an impact fantasy player for you at some point this season. And when he's back on the field, he should slot back in as the guy catching those passes out of the backfield. So don't let him linger on your wires, even in shallow formats, just because he's missing a few weeks with this, his current injury. And then finally for the Bills, Dawson knocks the tight end. I was hoping after his really cool catch from week three, he would get a little bit more work this week, but just three targets, but did again produce 58 receiving yards on, on that minimal work and has 8.5% DVOA as a receiver this season. Meanwhile, his offensive snap percentage was up to 65%, and no other Bills tight end saw a target on Sunday. So I think he's still trending up and want to own him in my deeper formats. Chiefs at Lions, this was the best game of the week, a game that I featured in my tipping points column on Monday. So check that out on footballoutsiders.com. For the Chiefs, I think Darrell Williams, probably the biggest fantasy takeaway. Eight carries for 13 yards, not super efficient um, behind LaShawn McCoy, but had the two short touchdowns and also continues to to thrive as a receiver. Three catches for 43 yards on four targets, 38.2% receiving DVOA on the season. Excellent production there compared to just negative 9.3% rushing DVOA. Damian Williams missed this game again. I don't really know if he's going to be back for week five. And even if he does, I'm not sure whether he's going to be the guy working with McCoy or whether Darrell Williams will. Um, as such, you probably need to own both players for the time being and just kind of wait and see how this unfolds. But Williams deserves to be owned in shallow formats until we know for sure that he won't be getting some of this work when the other Williams returns in week five or, or beyond. <clears throat> and then Demarcus Robinson, I've had some some sort of struggles to understand how the Chiefs were going to split up the workload behind Sammy Watkins and Travis Kelsey. But I think it's become clear to me after three games without Tyreek Hill that, that Robinson is clearly the guy over McCall Hardman. He had four catches for 35 yards and without a score this game, which is not much, but he had nine targets, which led the team. Uh, compared that to Hardman, just had five. And for the season, Robinson has a very impressive 38.8% DVOA compared to 0.8% for Hardman. So I've kind of come to, to kind of believe in Robinson as both a very good player and as a player that's probably going to get a healthy amount of workload for the Chiefs, at least as long as Hill is absent. Robinson's season-long total of 17.6% wide receiver and tight end target share is too low for, for sustained fantasy success, but I think he may be getting closer to 25% going forward as long as Hill's out. So I think he may be a wide receiver too for you, and I'd be spending on him in your shallow formats if he's still available. Now, Matthew Stafford had a nice day here with 291 yards and three passing touchdowns, and he's really been impressive this season as a passer with 24.8% DVOA, the third best of all quarterbacks. However, I think a lot of that is probably due to the schedule that he's faced so far. In addition to facing this Chiefs matchup, he had the Eagles matchup in week three. Both of those teams increased passing attempts by 17% compared to an average team. And then prior to that, he faced the Chargers that increased yards per attempt by 8% and touchdowns per attempt by 13% and the Cardinals back in week one, which increased completion percentage by 9%, and then yards per attempt and touchdowns per attempt by 2%. So it's a long way of saying that Stafford has had a very easy schedule so far. He is on bye in week five and then comes back to face the Packers and their number three DVOA pass defense in week six, and then the Vikings, who cut pass plays by 8% and passing touchdowns per attempt by 10% in week seven. So I'm not eager to go out and grab Stafford, even though I think he's doing really well from a real-life perspective. Just not sure the fantasy production is going to be there. Meanwhile, rookie tight end TJ Hawkinson suffered a concussion in this game 
and was forced to leave it. I think having the bye week here will probably help him. He probably won't miss a start, but something to keep an eye on. For a tight end that's been surprisingly productive as a rookie, I think maybe a usable back-end tight end one for you the rest of the season. Pivoting to the Raiders at Colts, Darren Waller continued to excel, um, seven catches for 53 yards and eight targets. I think he's pretty clearly a top five or at worst top six tight end. I'm kind of with him and Mark Andrews going back and forth there, back behind Evan Ingram as the, as the fifth spot. And then Tyrell Williams, three catches for 36 yards, not great, but another touchdown. He now has a touchdown in all four games this season and five end zone targets. Only one other end zone target has been given to a wide receiver or tight end other than Williams on, on the Raiders. So I think he's kind of blowing his production there with, with the, uh, the touchdowns. The Williams is also looking like a pretty effective player in general with 29% DVOA. So even though his, his wide receiver tight end target share is a bit low at 22.4%, I think that there are enough positive signs there to consider Williams sort of a flex option in your shallow formats and is a guy that I think deserves to be owned everywhere and is still available in maybe 10 to 15% of leagues. For the Colts, Jacoby Brissett had another nice day here, 24 of 46 for 265 yards and three touchdowns. He now also owns a 9.7% DVOA on the season and has thrown at least two touchdowns every game. So I would say, yeah, you maybe can rely on on him in fantasy, even in shallow formats, but keep in mind that some of his recent success has been buoyed by the matchups, in particular the the Falcons matchup in week three and this Raiders matchup in week four, which boosts passing touchdowns by 70%, which is the most in football. So given that that, I actually boosted Brissett before this, this week's game from number 20 in my true talent fantasy rankings to number 11 for week four. So I would, I would lean to this being more of a matchup thing. But given that the Brissett faces some, some easier matchups later in the season and plays his home games in the Dome in Indianapolis, he's going to be a guy I think you can start in shallow formats in his best matchups. Just don't, don't go too crazy with your fat budget on him. Uh, Marlon Mack injured his ankle in this game and was forced out in the fourth quarter, and that seems to make Jordan Wilkins a plug-and-play handcuff option for you. But based on the early reports, it doesn't look like Mack's injury was that serious. So he may be back for the team in week five, which means that the Wilkins remains just a handcuff and not a guy that you can use in your fantasy lineups. Uh, the Colts play the Chiefs this week, so actually Naeem Hines might actually be an option as a guy getting some receiving work out of the backfield. It'll be curious to see how the Colts handle the difficult matchup there. Um, meanwhile, with T.Y. Hilton out of this week, um, it, it really didn't provide any more clarity for, for this offense among the receivers and tight ends. It was a pretty distributed workload with Paris Campbell leading the way with eight targets. Tight end Jack Doyle also had eight, but then Zach Pascal had seven, Chester Rogers six, six, Naeem Hines six, and even Eric Ebron had five, even though he didn't play a ton. So hard to really make sense of this. It seems like the rookie, the rookie Campbell is the one that's got the most upper trajectory, but he's also suffering from an abdominal injury that he suffered during the game. So unclear what his status will be leading into week five. And that Colts versus Chiefs game is actually the Sunday night game. So this may be a game where you can't really rely on those options. I mean, especially if you're dealing with T.Y. Hilton's potential injury, you can't really roster Campbell as the backup there because both of those guys may end up missing. It's going to be a very difficult situation, and you might want to rely instead on some of the guys playing earlier in the day that you can actually figure out who's starting and who isn't before you make your roster decisions. Moving one of the Chargers to Dolphins game, Melvin Orgram, uh, Melvin Gordon reported to the Chargers at the end of last week, and even though he didn't play in week four, I think he'll probably be back week five, and I think he's probably going to be back as the primary starter. 
I think what's become clear to me is that Austin Eckler is an incredible receiving option out of the backfield. He actually leads all running backs with a 67.4% receiving DVOA, but he is probably below average as a runner. Negative 7.6% rushing DVOA, kind of in keeping with what he had done previously in his career. And as a guy that can kind of do it both as a runner and receiver, I think Gordon is going to bounce back to being the primary option for the team. But he may not get quite the workload that he used to get, given that Eckler has shown off such tremendous success as a receiver. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And then as, as good as I thought Justin Jackson performed as a runner, he ended up missing week four with a calf injury and has been seen in a walking boot. So you can probably go ahead and drop him in your shallower formats with, with Gordon back and with Eckler playing as well as he has. Meanwhile, that's probably the farthest thing from all of the Chargers injuries they're dealing with right now. Mike Williams missed week four with now a back injury to join his knee injury. Hunter Henry's obviously still out. Virgil Green missed this game. And then tight end Sean Colkin tore his Achilles in this game, sadly, and is going to be out for the rest of the season. And with all of those injuries, that left room for veteran wide receiver Dontrell Lindman to catch five balls on seven targets. Unclear how Williams is going to be um, moving into week five, but Inman may be a, a plug-and-play start for you in your deeper formats, getting workload because there's just not enough Chargers healthy bodies to, to get it otherwise. For the Dolphins, they enter their buy in week five, the, the other team in addition to uh, the, the Lions that is, that's off this week. But I'll point out that Mark Walton, the running back, had eight touches on the day compared to just two for Kalen Balage. Balazs has been really bad with negative 39.3% rushing DVOA on the season, and so it seems to be a, have been passed in the depth chart. Balazs played just 15% of the offensive snaps, but you know Walton only played 25%. So really, you probably don't want either of these guys. But in your deeper formats where you're looking for every running back getting work, Walton seems to have gotten a little bit more and may get more over Balazs in the future. And then I'll keep hammering home that Preston Williams needs to be owned, especially in your deeper formats. Seven more targets here led the team. 29.4% of the Dolphins wide receiver and tight end target share for the season is the 21st among all wide receivers in football. And I think he's going to score some touchdowns the rest of the season too. So pick him up or maybe wait a week if you need help during the buy situation, but you're going to want him later in the season, I think. The Redskins and Giants game, this game probably most notable for Dwayne Haskins coming in for Case Keenum. He didn't really fare too well with nine of 17 passing for 107 yards and three interceptions. And I think it could really be a struggle for him and a struggle for the Redskins passing attack with him in there. Paul Richardson was sort of the de facto number one outside option with Terry McLaurin sitting in this week. He managed just three catches for 14 yards on five targets. I don't think you're going to want to use him, uh, even if McLaurin misses more time with his hamstring injury. And I'm concerned that McLaurin may not be usable in fantasy either. When under Keenum, I thought he was kind of getting to the point where he was a solid wide receiver too. We'll have to see if Haskins performs better with more than a week to prepare, but not a great sign that he did so badly against a giant secondary that is is really gettable from a fantasy perspective. Meanwhile, Daniel Jones didn't have as good a week as he had the week before, but 23 of 31 passing for 225 yards, a touchdown and two picks means that I think he's doing well enough to buoy this this Giants team in general for fantasy. His negative 4.4% DVOA I think is pretty encouraging for a new rookie starter. Meanwhile, Wayne Gallman had an excellent fantasy day in his first game substituting for Saquon Barkley, still going to miss four to eight weeks with his injury. Gallman had 18 carries for 63 yards and a touchdown, and probably more importantly for fantasy, six catches for 55 yards and a touchdown as a receiver on seven targets. Receiving work is really where Gallman has, has done his best work so far in his career, and I think his usage there is sort of the primary option means that he's going to be a running back two for you while Barkley's out. So if he's still available in your deeper formats and, and some of your shallow formats, pick him up and, and use him as an RB2. And then meanwhile, 
where I thought Elijah Penny was probably the guy behind Gallman, it actually ended up being undrafted rookie Jonathan Hilleman, who had 10 carries for 33 yards in this game. He most recently played for Rutgers. He wasn't very productive in his college career with just 3.5 yards per carry, and he also didn't really make much of receiving impact. But he could be the number two running option for this team, and I guess maybe you could see a little bit of goal line work. We'll have to see how Gallman gets used throughout um, throughout the rest of these weeks without Barkley. But Hilleman may be a guy worth picking up for you in your deeper formats if you need guys getting workload. And then also for the Giants, note that Golden Tate should come back in Week Five from his four-game suspension, so he's going to plug into that mix too. It's probably another thing that's going to improve Daniel Jones' stock, and I'm not sure how that's going to play out between Tate and Sterling Shepard at wide receiver, but Tate will probably have a little bit of value um, in particular in your deeper PPR formats. Moving on to maybe the most surprising results of the week, the Bucks at Rams game. Jameis Winston, not surprisingly for a team that dropped 55 points, had a great fantasy day, 385 passing yards and four touchdowns. Winston actually has a very impressive total of 10.7% DVOA for the season, And I'll point out that his struggles in week one and two against the 49ers and Panthers may have been contributed to by defenses that have been better pass defenses than we expected. The 49ers are the number two DVOA pass defense and the Panthers the number six DVOA pass defense through three weeks. So I think Winston is probably a a usable option for you in your shallow formats. Maybe kind of a matchups guy, but he's trending upward. Meanwhile, maybe the pickup of the week in your shallow formats in fantasy is Ronald Jones, who had 19 carries for 70 yards and a touchdown and even saw a target in the big win for for the Buccaneers. He's just been so much better than Peyton Barber on the season with 19.3% rushing DVOA compared to negative 14% for Barber and that he had 19 carries versus nine for Barber this week. So this was the first time that he really had the healthy workload here. I don't know if that's going to continue. It's possible that the big lead the Bucs had contributed to, to Jones' healthy workload. But I think it's a possibility, and given how good Jones has looked so far, I'm going to spend a lot to pick him up to make sure that's the case. The biggest fantasy star for the Buccaneers on the day was Chris Godwin with 12 catches, 172 yards, and two touchdowns on 14 targets, which were seven more than anyone else on the Buccaneers. He actually leads all wide receivers in DYAR and DVOA, so he seems like a very safe top 20 option at the position. He's just one of 20 wide receivers um, in the league with more than 30% of their team's wide receiver and tight end target share. So again, very safe. He's already owned in every league, but just letting you know that he's a guy that you can trust, even if he's technically the number two wide receiver on his on his own team. Meanwhile, OJ Howard, the tight end, just three catches for 33 yards on three targets. I've been really disappointed with his lack of target share, 10.9% of the wide receiver tight end target share in the season. That's just 27th among tight ends. So, I mean, he's clearly not a top five tight end. I'm not sure he's even a top 15 tight end right now in fantasy. This is probably worth monitoring a little bit, but yeah, I'm not really enthused. I would rather have Will Disley as as an example of a guy that may be available in some of your formats still. For the Rams, Jared Goff ended up with uh, 68 pass attempts trying to play catch up for the Bucs, and so ended up with a, a pretty productive fantasy day of 517 yards and two touchdowns along with three picks. But the three picks kind of indicate he hasn't been playing well negative 8.6% DVOA on the season. I think it's just such a productive offense that he's going to be fine in fantasy, but he doesn't look like a a special player, at least right now. So I I don't think he's a threat to be a top five fantasy option. Todd Gurley uh, didn't get a ton of carries. Really, nobody in the Rams did while they were playing catch up, but had seven catches for 54 yards on 11 targets. And then meanwhile, had two rushing touchdowns. 
He's actually had three carries within five yards of the end zone since week one compared to just one for Brown. So I think it's it's fair to feel pretty good about Gurley again as a top 10 or maybe top 15 fantasy option at running back, but he's not the number one type of overall player that he was previously before the, the knee arthritis issues became an issue. Moving one of the Seahawks at Cardinals, I just mentioned Disley. Another great day with seven catches for 57 yards and a touchdown on eight targets. The eight targets led the team. He's had, uh, I think it's now six touchdowns and seven career healthy games, so seems very solid there, and has five end zone targets on the season, which is tied for the most of the position with Travis Kelsey. So he's scoring a lot of touchdowns, and I think also importantly for fantasy, getting a pretty good target share. 21.4% of the Seahawks wide receiver and tight end target share is 10th at the position. So I think pretty much entrenched as a top 10 option for you at tight end, still available in some leagues, grab him. Uh, And I think his recent success has kind of come at the expense of DK Metcalf, who had just one catch for six uh, yards on the day on four targets. He's Now that both David Moore and Jerron Brown are back and healthy, they're kind of all mired in that 40 to 65% of the snaps. Um, So yeah, Metcalf is down to just 22.3% of the wide receiver and tight end target share. That's 44th among wide receivers. And that's probably in my mind about where he would be at the position, which means in shallow formats, you may not want him. For the Cardinals, Keyshawn Johnson, um, I thought with Demir Bird missing this game that maybe Johnson would have a chance to, to get a little bit more work. Remember, too, that Michael Crabtree was released a week ago, but Johnson still played, I guess, fourth fiddle, playing 57% of the offensive naps compared to 84% for Trent Sherfield. So Johnson, I think, is a guy you can go ahead and drop even in your deeper formats. This is really just the, the Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk show on offense right now among receivers, and then obviously David Johnson heavily involved in the passing game. For the Vikings at Bears, Stephon Diggs had a, had a nice day with seven catches for 108 yards on seven targets. Uh, that led the team's wide receivers and tight ends and was great to see given that he had kind of slipped behind Adam Thielen. He's probably still a flex consideration for you in your shallow formats. Uh, meanwhile, Irv Smith and Kyle Rudolph each had one target, so neither of them is probably an option for you in your fantasy formats right now. But Rudolph is droppable now that Irv Smith is getting involved. And then rookie B.C. Johnson, uh, four catches for 35 yards. He had his first four targets of the season on Sunday. He played 58% of the offensive snaps, and I think he's pretty clearly the number three wide receiver for this team now that Josh Doxson is going to be out at least at least until week 10, and Chad Beebe is on, on injured reserve. So I think B.C. Johnson is a guy that in their deeper formats you might be able to squeeze a little bit of value out of. You're going to have to really time the, your matchups, though, because obviously when the, the Vikings are playing the way they want to play, they're not throwing a lot of passes. Meanwhile, Mitchell Trubisky uh, injured his shoulder this week. Unclear how long he's going to be out, but he was in a sling on the sidelines, so this may be a multi-week injury. Chase Daniel is his backup, and I think he's a guy that maybe in your deeper format you can plug and play, but I think mostly you're going to want to avoid this offense in fantasy except for David Montgomery, who's getting the primary work um, as the running back, and then Allen Robinson as the number one wide receiver. But I will also point out that with Taylor Gabriel injured, Javon Wims ended up being the uh, the secondary receiver here instead of Anthony Miller. Wims had five targets and had 56 yards receiving and played 94% of the offensive snaps compared to just 62% for Miller. For the Jaguars and Broncos game, this was really the Leonard Fournette show. 29 carries for 225 yards. Uh, sadly, didn't score, but I think that's more than enough production for you from a fantasy perspective. He's a top 10 option for you, just getting an unbelievable amount of workload for the Jaguars. And for the Broncos, Royce Freeman, I think continues to be an option for you in your shallow formats, in particular in PPR formats, because he keeps getting targets. Six more targets this week, four catches for 34 yards. 
Hasn't really excelled as a receiver with negative 10.3% receiving DVOA, but he's getting as many targets, if not a, a bit more than, than Philip Lindsay, the number one running back. So their roles are a little bit the reverse of what I thought they would be entering the season. But both of them are usable as kind of flex to maybe deeper flex range in your shallow formats. Cowboys at Saints. Uh, Tony Pollard, no touches this this week with the Cowboys playing a lot from behind. I think his his big workload from the previous week was all about game script, and he's probably only going to get a lot of workload in games where the Cowboys are just cruising with big leads. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater, not a great day, 23 of 30 passing, but just for 193 yards, no touchdowns and a pick. He has negative 9.9% DVOA for the season and is just so conservative with the ball that I can't imagine him having fantasy relevance except in very deep formats. I think the Saints at this point, you're, you're just relying on Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara, and that's it for fantasy. And then finally, the Monday night game with the Bengals at Steelers. Andy Dalton, just 21 of 37 for 171 yards, no touchdowns in a pick. Negative 24.6% DVOA for the season. So I'd say the bloom has kind of come off the rose for Zach Taylor's offense. Dalton has actually seen his passing yards decline from 418 in week one to 311 week two, 250 week three, and 171 this week. I mean, I am a mathematician, so I can probably tell you that he's going to be throwing for negative yards in two weeks if that trend continues. So yeah, you can go ahead and drop Dalton in your deeper formats, in particular because John Ross suffered a shoulder injury in this week. A.J. Green still expected to miss two more weeks. That's going to leave Tyler Boyd and I guess Auden Tate as the number two option for the receivers for the Bengals. There's just not enough there on offense, and Dalton needs more help than that to be an effective fantasy player. Although Tate, you can maybe pick up in your deeper formats to plug and play for a week or two if you need a receiver. For the Steelers, Mason Rudolph fared much better with 24 of 28 passing for 229 yards and two touchdowns, and is back up to 2.1% DVOA for the season. I'm curious to see if if Rudolph ends up having the big home and road splits that Ben Roethlisberger always had in Pittsburgh. If so, that's actually good news for his fantasy value because it means that you know exactly when you want to use and not use Rudolph. But they kind of had a a creative game plan in this game. In fact, with Jalen Samuels, the running back, ended up playing a lot of Wildcat and completing three of three pass attempts. But Samuels was really involved just in general in this game with 10 carries and eight receptions on eight targets compared to just 10 carries and eight targets for James Conner, kind of a split workload. This is something I think you need to keep an eye on because Connor hasn't performed super well with negative 23.4% rushing DVOA. I think you want to pick up Samuels in, in your deeper formats to see exactly how he ends up being used the rest of the season. But if he's going to be taking some direct snaps, yeah, the, the 10 carries could be a thing that continues to happen for him in the future. Meanwhile, rookie receiver Deontay Johnson, six catches on, for 77 yards and a touchdown on six targets. Uh, it seems like because of the last two games, he may be Mason Rudolph's favorite target, but I wouldn't get too carried away with that because he's played just 63% of the offensive snaps this week compared to 76% for James Washington and 73% for Juju Smith-Schuster. The wide receivers and tight ends combined for just 13 targets in this game, and at that kind of a rate, none of those guys is going to be very effective for fantasy. You can pick up Johnson in your deeper formats, but I would avoid him in your shallow leagues. And before I close this thing up, I'll mention the two teams on by. You had the the Jets this week. Um, They'll come back and they'll get Chris Hernan back in week five because they had the early bye. He won't finish his four-game suspension until week five. Um, But I'm not starting Hernan until Sam Darnold comes back. And the latest news is that Darnold is dealing with an enlarged spleen that makes it dangerous for him to get hit. So I guess for the time being, you can probably just leave Hernan on your waiver wires anyway. And then for the 49ers, 
Uh, Tevin Coleman is actually also slated to return from his injury in week five, the, the ankle sprain. And so he may be a guy that you should preemptively pick up in your shallow formats before he gets too expensive, maybe a week for now. Okay, that's going to do it for this Tuesday's episode of the Football Outsiders Fantasy Podcast. Good luck with all of your waiver bids and come back in two days to hear my thoughts on the best and worst matchups for week five. 